you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waits. I've got an amazing guest on today, uh, Mark McWinney, who is a lifelong entrepreneur who helps coaches get more clients without paid advertising. He achieves this with his coaching programs, his podcast, Natural Born Coaches, which I thoroughly recommend checking out, and his Facebook group, The Coaching Jungle. Um, And you also have an exclusive hard copy newsletter called The Secret Coach Club. I'm so excited to invite you onto the show, Mark. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robin. So we've got a group here, a group full of people who are going to be watching this podcast, listening in, uh, who are all coaches and consultants. And a lot of them really struggle with the marketing side of things. So I'm going to um, come back to Mark in a bit. Um, but let's focus on uh, how um, you sort of recommend people should start to grow their communities on a shoestring budget as a coach. Well, it's, it's funny that you have the name fearless in the title because you do have to be fearless. <laughs> Get out there and don't be afraid of uh, feeling like you're being uh, spammy or salesy. And uh, I've found that coaches are very good at what they do um, in terms of the coaching side of it and helping people, but they're not so good with the selling and the marketing and so on. And um, that's why you have to be fearless with it, but you, you touch on an important point. If you don't have people to put your message out in front of, you're not going to be getting clients. So uh, I, whenever I talk with a, um, a coach, especially new coaches, I don't say, so why did you become a coach? I say, why did you start a coaching business? And they might sound like the same question, but there's a big difference between saying, why are you a coach? And why did you start a coaching business? Adding the words coaching plus business, because coaches are entrepreneurs. You can be the best coach in the world, but if you don't have clients, no one's going to know. Absolutely. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of that whole process of actually building the audience first, because you see so many coaches, consultants who they spend loads of time, like getting these certifications and they like weighed down. If you imagine this is a scale, like weighed down by all these certifications, which they've got, and then they launch their coaching practice and they're like, Oh, I thought the clients would just come. So it must be because I'm underqualified. I'll go and get even more coaching certifications. Yeah. And, and it's very destructive. And actually a lot of coaches, I mean, there are certain things I think where, that you as a coach that you can kind of, um, you do need to have certifications, you know, especially if you're working with mental health and the mindset side of things, I think it's important, but there's a lot of things which you can coach through experience as well. Um, and actually it's much better if you've started to create that idea of what it might be that you're going to be helping people with build a community around that idea um which is something which you've done really successfully with the coaching jungle which has is it 17 and a half thousand members now yeah somewhere in around that range yeah and that just blows my mind i mean most people would look at you know they struggle to grow a group with like one or two hundred people in it so what 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 do you think was um would you was there something which you did that was um different to the average coach out there Well, I will say for anyone growing your group, don't feel like you need 17,000 or 25,000 people in a group. Uh, I know some um, people in the online space that have Facebook groups with a couple hundred people and they do very well from them. So it's not always size, although it definitely helps. Uh, The reason I think the jungle caught on was um, a couple things. Uh, First off, 
Uh, you're in the group. Thank you, Robin, for being in there. But um, you could see that we have a very um, specific goal for the group. It's not like a general Facebook group. Like a lot of groups don't have that uh, defining uh, goal of the group. It's like maybe a motivational group or something around su success or something fuzzy. That gr The group that I have is all around helping coaches and aspiring coaches start and grow coaching businesses. And that's what it's about. But we also don't take ourselves too seriously. So anyone that enters, we'll see in the banner right up top, it's Tarzan, Mark. Um, one of the members in the group photoshopped my head on a Tarzan's body swinging through a vine. It's the quickest way to get six pack abs. I don't have to go to the Photoshop uh, <laughs> <anymore>. level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everything's kind of jungle theme, so we um, like to have fun in there. The other thing, which I think is um, uh, important, because I hear this from a lot of members, is uh, people seem to appreciate that we enforce the rules there. So I have a team of uh, sixteen admin around the world in different time zones, and we are really tight on the rules, just so it doesn't become you know a mess, the wall, like spam city, and just a bunch of junk, like a lot of groups devolve into after a while so i've heard that from people as well yeah and you've got to have those rules in place otherwise you will find that people will take advantage it's just it's a, a natural byproduct i think of you know success i think um i i'm curious though because um a, a lot of a lot of people um will when they're setting out not just a coaching business but when they're setting out in business generally they'll go their go-to kind of mechanism is do i need to get a website do i need to have a personal brand or do i need to have it so you get all these like real i call them it's like the tactical stuff down in the weeds of your jungle which um whereas actually i think there's a uh you know going to market sort of sooner without having all of those tactical things in place is actually much, much better. What are the other sorts of common mistakes which you see coaches and consultants making when they're first starting out? I think you're right. They get into that analysis paralysis thing because um, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great that there's so much information online. You Google anything, you're going to get a trillion responses in a second, but it can be like trying to take a sip of water with a fire hose. It's too much. So I'm not saying that people uh, roll out of bed, decide, hey, I want to be a coach, and two minutes later, bang, they're starting. But it also shouldn't take you a year of research and things like that. So I have certain things I do with uh, clients that um, feel pretty confident within a week of doing the groundwork that you can then be rolling. It shouldn't take months or years. And uh, I think a big issue with a lot of coaches and online entrepreneurs that is imposter syndrome. They feel like, who's anyone? To, why should they listen to me? And uh, they're comparing themselves with Brendan Bichard, Tony Robbins, Marie Forleo, and all these people have been at it for a long time. And I say, don't play the comparison game. Uh, one thing that's important, Robin, which I actually mentioned to a coach earlier this week, uh, this coach is um, having that imposter syndrome issue. And she's like, who am I to be talking about this? Uh, she's in the money mindset world, but she's got some issues with her own financial um, situation at the moment. Uh, what she can do and what any coach can do is almost like the hero's journey. Uh, Joseph Campbell and stuff like that. She can bring uh, people along with her as she's improving her financial situation. She can be very transparent and be open. Same thing if you're losing weight or anything that you're doing. And so you're not trying to pretend that you're a guru that has it all figured out. You can actually bring your people along with it as you grow. And there's some great people who've done well with it. Uh, Pat Flynn, smart passive income, big reason he caught on and took off and, and became a big name was he was very transparent, sharing his um, income expenses and everything every month. And he brought people along on the journey with him.
I think if you're humble with it as well, and it just humanizes you and makes you accessible to more people. Um, there are an awful lot of people out there who are, and I, I tend to see it much more of the younger generations, you know, the 21 year old life coach and things like that, where they're trying to fake it till they make it. And that just ends up being so much more destructive because ultimately when it comes around to delivery, they can't deliver on whatever it is that they're promising to the world. And so yeah. they'll, they'll get found out. It's just an unfortunate side of things. And interestingly, we've got Joe who's listening in already and she said, are you speaking about me, Mark? Um, <laughs> so it sounds yes. like we're resonating already with a lot of people in the group, which is great. So yeah, I've um, been following Joe around and creeping. Uh, I don't know if it is Joe, is she or he? I can't see the, it's the a she. Yeah. It's a she. Okay. No, I oh, right. Okay. So you're already Joe. aware of her. You've been you're knocking on her door. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also when it comes to kind of pricing, like coaching is something really hard, uh, to, to gauge how much you should charge, especially when you're first starting out. So again, what are your tips around kind of how, how coaches should set their, their pricing policies? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because I've often said it's like trying to nail jello to a wall to explain what a coach does to, for someone who doesn't know what coaching is, but then also to price it because it's a wild west. You've got all over the board. Usually it, it veers towards pricing too little, but you have pr prices all over the place. It's a little different. I have a twin brother and uh, my brother, Matt edits podcasts. That's his business. It's a little easier with a service like that because he can look and say, okay, how much are people charging to edit a show, upload and do show notes, all that stuff. He can price himself accordingly. He bumps his uh, rates up every, I think six months or a year. And he goes like that, but it's much easier to price a service like that because it's in a nice box with a bow. basically uh, same thing goes if you're selling a physical product like cars or anything like that, it's very easy to price it. Um, what I would say with coaching is, um, when you're pricing it, uh, don't a couple things. Um, I recommend not, uh, doing single sessions or free coaching. Um, I'm not a fan of the free coaching or coaching for peanuts just to get experience testimonials or referrals. I think you're better off starting higher. And I'm not saying you start saying, okay, I'm going to charge a um, hundred thousand dollars a year out of the gate for people to work with me, but definitely push yourself and, and go on, um, push as high as you possibly can. Uh, cause the toughest person to convince isn't anyone in the marketplace. It's a person looking back at you in the mirror. Once you convince yourself, it's, it's much easier. So I know so, that's not an X number of dollars you should be charging, but those are my thoughts. Well, no, I mean, it's a bandwidth, isn't it? And you mentioned Tony Robbins earlier on. And I, I always like, I always show people this, this, um, this little diagram, which I created this little graph and at one end of the graph, you know, it's highly competitive. Basically it's, it's free, cheap, Weebly, Wix, WordPress, DIY, and all that sort of stuff on YouTube, uh, especially in the coaching space, you know, if somebody knows what to put into, into YouTube, they can, there's nothing you can't find in there, yeah. you know, from cooking, learning how to cook a chocolate cake to, um, understanding more about money mindset, everything is on YouTube, but it's, it's free and highly competitive. And then gradually you move down through the, the scale of initiative through sort of hourly rate coaching. And then you move into the expert guru space where they're charging for like a high ticket, you know, several thousand dollars or pounds for, um, a, a 90 day transformational program or something like that. And then right down at the other end of the, the, the scale, uh, the spectrum, we've got one Tony Robbins mm. who's charging like a million bucks a year to, you know, if you want to work with him. And, and I, it was really interesting. I was chatting to somebody who was a hairdresser the other day and, um, she, she was charging something like 25 pounds for, this is for, um, cutting women's hair. Uh, and it was just, it was way too cheap for doing the full sort of, you know, cut, blow, dry color and everything. It's like, you know, it should be like hundred pounds plus. And even somebody in her shop said that that's just way too cheap. I'd pay a hundred quid for that. <coughs> and, um, 
what was interesting was she was like, oh, but no, I don't think anybody will pay that. So it's like a belief system, false belief system for her going on here. And I, I just quickly Googled like, because um, I'm dumb like this, right? I Googled like most expensive haircut in the world. And there's a Guinness world record set in the UK. Somebody paid 8,000 pounds for a haircut. Okay. I was like, there's some dingbat who's paid 8,000 pounds for a haircut. And it's in writing. It's in, it's in the, a book in the Guinness book of world records. Oh, I don't believe you. Nobody had ever paid. No, no, somebody did. And I think people forget that there is, this bandwidth and you get to choose at what point along that bandwidth you 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 get to charge yeah and i think the danger is like for a lot of um you know coaches just starting out you know we're kind of we uh, i we maybe we can talk about this but i believe the hourly rate and day rate is fundamentally unethical um for a couple of very good reasons that um you know maybe there's something for another podcast there so we want to skip that step and go straight into packages what are your thoughts yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned cutting hair because there's a great story I heard about Bruce Lee that uh, ties into hair. Some people might think, what the heck, uh, Bruce Lee and haircuts, what does this have to do with it? But um, when Bruce Lee first arrived in um, California, he uh, wanted to teach martial arts to Hollywood celebrities, basically. And uh, the person that cut his hair was the hairstylist for a lot of these celebrities, like the Steve McQueens and people of that world. And uh, he got Bruce Lee's foot in the door with these guys. And Bruce Lee uh, was very talented at the time. He didn't have his name out there, but he's really good at what he did. And he was charging uh, $50 a session. So the next time he's in the hair salon, um, the barber, the guy cut his hair said, so how are you making out? Or, you know, are you full, you know, with clients? And he said, actually, nobody will hire me. None of these celebrities. And he's, and the guy said, well, how much are you charging? And he said, 50 bucks a session. He goes, Oh God, no, you can't. That's not a good price. And Bruce Lee said, I can't do it for any less. Like it's a lot of work per session. I just can't drop it. And, uh, the guy said, no, he said, it's way too low. He said, these celebrities, they're going to think you're no good at $50. Um, so what happened was Bruce Lee 10 axed charged, uh, started charging 500 for the session and sold out like that because suddenly, Oh, he must be good, you know, cause he's charging more. So I always remember uh, that Bruce Lee story. And the other one that comes to mind when you're talking is I heard a, a story once a uh, true, you could Google it. There's a black and white photo of a potato that sold for a million dollars, uh, which it's not a fancy picture. I've seen it. So, um, people love to spend money on stupid stuff. Uh, they love to spend money, uh, traveling somewhere warm and, you know, drinking their face off by a pool, you know, for a week and coming home hung over and all this stuff. What you're offering as a coach is to, to transform someone's life and, and in, in whatever coaching you're doing, whatever niche, that's, I think, more valuable than a trip down south or a black and white picture of a potato. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, go, I, gonna, yeah. I might use that, Mark, if that's okay. I might go right ahead. Yeah, there you go. Just send me a royalty. It's, uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. We'll, we'll work yeah. it out afterwards. We'll work out the finer details. So, how, how did you um, how did you get into coaching yourself? Then, what was your what's your story? Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to give the Cole's notes version or Cliff's notes version because, of course, it's a, it's a very long story. So, in a nutshell, um, I spent ten years in real estate throughout my twenties, right out of university. Uh, build up a, uh, law, a big real estate business. I had a hundred agents and employees at a couple offices. Uh, through those 10 years, it was just uh, hockey stick 
growth, no stumbles. And I thought, wow, I mean, I worked hard, but I thought, wow, the success thing's easy. Like, look, you know, by the time I'm 40, I'll have a couple private islands, fleet of jets, you know, supermodels hanging around, all that Very stuff. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 2009 hit. So anyone who uh, was in, involved in real estate probably knows where this story's going, but I went through a bad business closure. And after 10 years of success, I went through the, a couple of years, 2009 to 2012, not one, but two business closures. So suddenly I went from uh, everything I touched turned to gold to everything I touched turned to crap. And I was just really in a bad place. And I didn't know anything about coaching up until that point. Someone approached me years earlier when I was in real estate. And I'm like, what the heck? He popped into my office. I'm like, what the heck's a coach? You know, this was probably 2005 or six. And I'm thinking like, um, once he told me what he did, I'm like, well, look how good I'm doing. Does it look like I need a coach? Well, of course, when I went through the business closure, I'm like, wow, I really probably should have listened to him. (laughs) At someone in in my corner, things may not have um, uh, ended uh, quite as badly or or ended at all. So uh, to uh, to make a really long story short, I was helped back to my feet by several different coaches and and mentors as well. A few of them weren't uh, coaching me in a relationship. There are more mentors. And that's how I got exposed to it. And that got me back on track in life. And that's how I've seen uh, kind of had a front seat to see what coaching can do uh, for people. So when I started, I was ready to get back in business in early 2014. It was a no brainer for me. I thought, wow, I've seen what coaching can do. I would love to be doing this as a business. And that's how I got started. And now it's been uh, over six years. Cool. And and what was the, what did the growth look like? Was it as aggressive um, as a coach as it was when you're running a real estate business? There's a lot of similarities. Uh, the first six months were the same as my real estate days when I was a 21 year old real estate agent, or I guess you guys call them, uh, is it a state agent? Estate agents, yeah. yeah, in yeah. the neck of the woods. Uh, the first six months of real, uh, real estate prepared me for many years later, the first six months of coaching, because of course you're priming the pump and you're doing all this work, but you're being paid the equivalent of third world wages if you worked it out per hour. But um, I said to myself, Mark, uh, it took about six months for real estate to get rolling, put your head down, do the work and it's going to happen. And I would say that it was probably in around that six month mark. I'm like, wow, I've got something going here because consistent revenue started coming in. Uh, At that time, when I started my coaching business, I had a sales gig with a telecommunications company here in Canada, got to work from home, super flexible. I could get my work done for that job in like two hours, three hours, had a really good system in place. Then I could spend the rest of the time working on my coaching. And I said, once my revenue from coaching uh, exceeds my, what I'm making from that sales job, I'm jumping full-time for coaching. And that's what I did about 11 months uh, late after I started was when I made the jump and quit the sales job and uh, went really headfirst into coaching. I mean, there, there are a co- kind of, in a way, there's lots of similarities between kind of, you know, the estate doing something in a state agency and, you know, the, the, the sales and the, the pump, like you said, I can't remember what, what your phrase was, but, you know, turning um, the wheel um, in terms yeah. of the, that's it, the numbers, yeah. which you kind of got to push through. And I, I remember my first year in, as a coach, you know, I did um, something like 125 consultations. I did 50 odd speaking gigs that year. It was just like, just crank it out and just get those clients as quick as you can. And yeah, it helped I, me with the sales part for sure. And I'm sure you, you did as well with your experience. Yeah. And there's energy as well, which you need to do that. And did you, did you um, have a niche as a, uh, as a coach as well? Or, you know, who did you work with back then? Yeah. So when I first started coaching, I had a very broad, um, I say focus, I use the term focus loosely. I said, I want to be a coach for entrepreneurs because, um, uh, 
I had been an entrepreneur my whole adult life. I believe entrepreneurs don't get the support that they need. I think I always say entrepreneurs make the world go round. We're seeing that now uh, yeah. more than ever. And so I said, I want to support entrepreneurs, which I realized in that first year that was too broad. And then what had happened was when I looked at who I was working with, two of my clients were coaches and I, and not to knock anyone else I was working with, but I had a lot more fun with those two clients who were coaches than Joe from Joe's widgets, right? Like I had a gym yeah. owner, for example, was one of fitness in the fitness world. So I, I just wasn't feeling uh, that as much. So I said, you know what, I'm going to focus on what I enjoy doing. What I'm good at doing is, is working with coaches. And even to this day, anyone who comes to me that has, let's say a bricks and mortar business or something, they're not a coach. I refer them off to a coach I know that can help them. Yeah. And, it, and uh, you know, there's, there's a uh, going to possibly sound a little bit woo woo now, but it sounds like there was a bit of like, you know, when you set up the coaching practice, you're there to save with hindsight, Mark, who needed the, his coach going through the 2009 kind of recession, you know, you're, you're actually the savior now on, on the other end of it because of kind of that journey that you went through. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I recommend to coaches who are struggling, finding a niche or a, a focus uh, become the coach you wish you had had if there's a certain challenge that you got through and that's a fit. So it's like I hopped in uh, my DeLorean. I don't know if Back to the Future is big in your part of the world. Oh, massive. It, yeah. It yeah. Is, everybody yeah. knows Back to the Future. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I, so I hopped in my DeLorean and, um, you know, helped myself uh, with it. But I'll also say when it comes to coaching, uh, don't feel like you have to have a niche nailed right out of the gate. Um, what I'm recommending with uh, coaches I'm working with is uh, – there's all research process. I could do a whole podcast on it, but basically it's not the end of the world. If you change uh, niches, you're not choosing a life partner here. And I feel like a lot of coaches are like, well, uh, they're trying to nail it right out of the gate. Then they freak themselves out because they yeah. have to have it perfect. I know a successful coach who he has a real successful podcast too. And he's had four different evolutions of his in business his coaching business, changing direction. And it's not the end of the world, you know, just that he's pivoted and changed and shifted. And he saw who he was attracting, what he enjoyed doing and so on. So just get out there helping people. And then the, that focus will come into play as you go along. That's it. I think the mix of kind of the right audience and getting the products right and things like that, you know, and I, I always talk about products, you know, and it comes to like uh, coaches as a, coaching as a service, I call it a product because it should be a journey from A to B. Um, even if that journey then, you know, continues on and actually getting those um, things fine tuned does take several months, not several minutes, you know, on a, writing something on the back of a fag packet as a plan. Uh, there is a little bit of design which has to go into that. And I think skipping that design process um, can be more damaging than anything else because I've seen a lot of coaches, I mean, especially in the time that we're in at the moment, people selling um, their wares like super cheap, like a quarter of the price yeah. of what they were charging even 30 days ago. Uh, and, and the flip side of that is when people are starting out, they go in way too cheap. And what you end up seeing is like, they, they just end up burning themselves out and exploding because they fill up all of their capacity and think, oh shit, this coaching thing's like really bloody hard work. I'm not getting paid anything like hard, nowhere near enough for it. And you see, I, I once had somebody actually, I'll share the story with you, Mark, because I think this is pertinent. I, I, I want, because I work with coaches like you do as well. And I had somebody come to me and say, Robin, um, I, I look at everything you're doing, your coaching program, and you're so successful. And I think my coaching is like, my program's as good as yours, but I just don't understand why you're making it work and I'm not. And I, I turned around and said, um, I'm just curious how many, how many, and it's not, a, it's not a badge of honor. I'm not showing off here, but it, it's about, you know, my tenacity is different to other people's. But I said, 
how many consultations did you run over the last 12 months? And um, she thought for way too long and then said, well, I think four or five. And I was like, well, is it four or five? Because there's a difference about 20, 25% there. <laughs> so she said, oh, well, five. <laughs> and I said, well, in the same 12 months, I did 125. You know, is it wonder that I'm actually more successful than you? It's just, I know how the machine works. Do you want to learn how the machine works? What was the point um, when, when did you set up the coaching jungle and when think you, when you started to kind of um, shift? Yeah, so the coaching jungle, I started in September of 2015. Uh, so uh, I'd been cool. at it, uh, oh, a year and a half, almost two years before I started it. Uh, what had happened was I had a Facebook group for guests of my podcast because um, Natural Born Coaches, uh, we're up to 650 some episodes right now. Uh, wow. At the time, I had a couple hundred because it was a daily show in the beginning. So I got up to 300 episodes really quickly <laughs> where it was a daily show. It's weekly now, much, much better. Um, but uh, what happened, I had a Facebook group for past guests on my podcast. And, and I was getting a lot of requests from people to join that group, not noticing the past guest part of the title. It was Natural Born Coaches Past Guest. So after seeing enough of those, I thought, hmm, well, first of all, I'm getting tired having to say to them, hey, really sorry, this is only for people who've been on my show. But I thought I really should have a group for all coaches uh, with it. And that's where I, I shut down that group for past guests and I moved all my attention over to the coaching jungle. And we grew to 500 to 1,000 members really quickly just from me talking about it for that first week. And then it just really steamrolled uh, from there. I found the tipping point was around 1,000 members. Once we got up over 1,000, it took on a life of its own. And you know, here we are up almost to 20,000. Well, the, the engagement shifts, doesn't it? When you get to those sorts yeah. of numbers, it kind of, like you said, like you, you, the perfect word there, kind of takes on a life force. And I've seen that with, with the group, which we're kind of live into at the moment as well. Um, you know, and I, I, it's funny, I, I don't know why, but I'd assumed that at 2015, I, I'd assumed that it was actually a more recent thing than that. Um, oh. it, it reminded me of that whole, you know, the 19-year-old YouTuber who, you know, has been doing it for like 10 years or whatever since YouTube started out. Yeah. And then we just <laughs> look at it and go, well, how did you get a million subscribers? Subscribers, yeah. well, doing I did like thousands of videos, you know, that nobody watched for years and years, and then all of a sudden it blew up. Um, it's it's that sort of thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and it is it's an amazing group as well. It's a great resource. I love some of the questions which you get, which people ask in there as well, which can you know the answers can benefit absolutely anybody in the group. Yeah. Um, what um in. I'm curious, I'm going to pick just a very specific point in, in the story which you told there about kind of that transition between, um, you know, when, when the oh shit moment, when things were going sort of south with the, the estate agency business in 2009. Um, what would you say was your, is your biggest or best characteristic that helped you, that helped pull you out of that and keep going? Well, this isn't a characteristic. This is more a motivation. Uh, but my son, he's now 11. He turns 12 later this year. He was only, when this was going on, a little over a year old. Uh, so any entrepreneur who has kids knows that they're the perfect source of motivation. I didn't have the luxury, I say, to uh, crawl into bed and pull the covers over my... Yeah, you know, and over my head and just give up because I had a son, I had to put food on the uh, table for him and so on. So uh, I always say he was my number one motivation. Uh, there's a book which I highly recommend. Anyone that's going through a tough time now, 
definitely read it. But even if you're not going through something as dramatic as a business closure, because it really helps toughen you up. And that book's called Thick Face, Black Heart by Chin Ning Chu. And I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a perfect book to develop a thick skin, but also to build resistance, uh, uh, resilience and grit. And I uh, highly recommend it. So Thick Face, Black Heart, Thick face, black heart. We'll make sure we put a, a link into the um, into the show notes as well. Um, I, I suppose as well, like with as as your kind of your growth, um, uh, both in the podcast and in the Facebook group, and obviously the um, the coaching practice which you built now. Are there people out there who disagree with what you're doing? That don't like me. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and, sure. and how do you deal with those? <laughs> Well, the business closure again helped with that because I was getting kicked around by the local media and former employees and people who didn't even know me. So if it's some uh, guy in his mom's basement in Boise, Idaho, who's trolling me for, you know, on the keyboard, it's not a really big deal. Uh, I do have people who don't like me. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say it sounds bad. I, I think overall I'm a pretty likable guy, but uh, anytime you put yourself out there, you're going to get people uh, not liking you. If you don't have detractors and, and people attacking, it means you're not putting yourself out there enough. So good examples. I've been doing daily emails to my list since April of 2016. And I sometimes get uh, people with their backs up, even though it says very clearly when they opt in the first initial autoresponder message says, by the way, you, these are daily emails, uh, but sometimes I'll get some very strange uh, replies for it. And what I do in those cases is uh, one of a couple things. First off, I'll, I'll probably ignore it because that person has um, more time to spend on it than I do. I'm not going to put my energy there. Uh, the other thing I could do is use it as content fodder. So if somebody said, an email back like oh why are you sending emails every day and blah 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 i could turn that into um content for my audience my message around uh that uh, that person clearly has some misguided thoughts around selling that they're projecting and i could turn that into content uh, for my people to help um, i've also shared some of the times i get trolled I, i'll share screenshots or if i send back a snarky reply and the reason i do that uh, partially is probably to blow off some steam but i've had coaches tell me mark thank you for sharing that because it makes me realize it's not the end of the world if somebody sends a message like that and i see that it, it, this is a normal thing so I, i'm into all those things i'm not really a big hug your haters uh, type guy i know there's a book with that title but i'm not going to hug the person try to you know become their best buddy either i it's um it's one of those things though that i think with with the the prevalence of online marketing digital marketing in this day and age you know that um i guess the likes of tony robbins and those guys who are kind of in you know late 40s early 50s who've been around since the dawn of the internet age you know they've had to um grow and learn through this as somebody's kind of um you know plenty of coaches out there will kind of be shifting from corporate land into the, the online space and at some point somebody's going to disagree with something which they're putting out and i think i like the way that you've kind of made it sort of relative you've kind of like shrunk the problem which is uh, sorry i'll rephrase that you've not shrunk the problem but you've sh you've shrunk uh, how big the the sort of response should be to that problem um and humanized it quite nicely because i've seen so many coaches just get broken the moment they have like a you know a negative review on google or somebody kind of comes back to them with a, a negative comment on linkedin or facebook um because yeah. it can be pretty soul destroying if you you know i remember i remember the first one star review i got for my for my first book online business startup and it's because some dickhead 
disagreed with my definition of the word startup. I was like, <laughs> if, if a business is starting up, then it's called a startup. But his thought process, and I'm not hanging on to this, obviously, Mark, I'm, you know, the fact I'm still talking about it, but, um, you know, that one, that one cut me right to the core, the first one. But by the time I've had my, you know, 10th or 20th, you know, five, uh, one star review compared to like 800 five star reviews, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I love that uh, picture of a restaurant, you know, somewhere burger place or whatever, had a sandwich board outside and some, uh, come taste, uh, I forget the exact wording, but come taste a burger that Kathy from wherever gave ones there on Yelp or something like that. <laughs> and, and they, um, that's really interesting because what you do is taking those attacks and you're turning it into something uh, positive. So I know a, a marketer, email marketer who uh, was getting trolled really bad on um, Twitter by a, a washed up hip hop artist of all people, uh, someone who's big in the nineties or whatever. And, uh, what this marketer's name is Ben Settle uh, did was he turned it into a sale. <laughs> so he had a sale that weekend and he used the, the critic's name as a promo code or whatever. And he made like $30,000. <laughs> no way. That's awesome. He, he did it really clever because what had happened was this hip hop artist, basically anyone who doesn't agree with them is automatically a Nazi or a white supremacist. So what Ben did was, uh, since he's in like kind of like the email marketing world and copywriting and stuff, he had a, a right supremacist sale that weekend, like W R I T E. And he used this, um, Talib's name or whatever as a promo code and turned it into $30,000. Uh, so he kind of deflected it and turned it into an advantage. Nice. That's exactly what we should be doing. And in terms of kind of, um, you mentioned people pleasing is dangerous, kind of explain a little bit more about why, why that's the case. Yeah. So the issue I see a lot of coaches and online entrepreneurs having is that they're hanging around what I call the mushy middle. And the mushy middles, when you're putting out kind of bland, boring content, that's never going to offend anyone. Unfortunately, it's not going to get people terribly excited either. I would rather uh, poke the bear a bit and uh, have a good example, uh, my emails. When I started doing daily emails, the other thing I did was I took the filter off and I said, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not going to worry if I offend some sensitive person halfway across the world. And it was that combination of switching to daily emails plus taking the filter off that really completely changed my results with email, which were pitiful before I started doing that. I, I was ready to kill my email account and say, I'm going to focus on what's working because this is a waste of time uh, with it. So I find that uh, you mentioned corporate earlier. It seems to be people coming from the corporate world that have trouble with that because they're still in corporate speak. They're kind of afraid of offending and, and so on. And that's where they're right in the middle. But you want to have it ideally that you, know, you have a whole bunch of raving fans that will defend you from the nut bars who are attacking you, the critics. Uh, but you do want um, people to have an emotional reaction to you, either positive or negative. If they don't have any emotional reaction to you. That's probably not a good thing. It was, um, there, there was, uh, we were talking about rappers earlier on, but there was, um, Pitbull was getting mentored by 50 Cent and Pitbull got a, cause he, he, um, uses other people's tracks, samples other people's tracks on his own. And so he had a million dollar lawsuit, um, filed against him and 50 Cent's answer was, well, you've made it because somebody's noticed you enough and they're worried about you enough that they're going to take you to court over it. Yeah. And I think that that's a lesson that all coaches should learn from, you know, let's be a bit more like Pitbull. Yeah, that reminds me, speaking of 50 Cent, you heard about the 45 Cent concert? No. Oh, okay, it's 50 Cent with Nickelback opening for them. 
Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was bad. That was my uh, dad joke for the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, the more dad jokes, the better, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, as well, like as a coach, I think there's a, in order to have a power, I mean, this is my opinion, um, in order to have a powerful coaching conversation with somebody, sometimes you've got to say the stuff that maybe the person you know, doesn't want to hear, but it's the thing that's going to help them make that transformation. And I think, um, you know, as coaches or any, any line of work, really, if you're going to be holding something back, uh, just to save a bit of face, I don't think that's good business. Um, in no. my opinion, it's not helpful. Yeah. Cause people can, um, hang out. They have friends in their hometown, you know, they're not hiring you as a coach to have a buddy or someone to grab a beer with. They're hiring you to help them get from point A to point B, like you mentioned earlier, and to achieve a big goal or a transformation. And you can't do that if you don't challenge your clients at times or call them out on their excuses. That's what they're paying you for. And they'll appreciate it too. So while I like to think that I get along really well with my clients and um, I'd like to think some of them will come to my funeral down, hopefully many years down the road when it happens, uh, I still will call them out on things if I see that they're putting up excuses or BS and stuff. And, and that's what a coach should be doing. Yeah. And there's, there's ways and ways and means there's protocols and you know, there, there are ways to do that. You certainly don't want to do it in public. You know, that's not what we're suggesting here. It's got to be a powerful coaching conversation. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where you kind of, I was, I was watching some stand up comedy the other night. I think there's something similar between stand up comics and coaches, mm. uh, in a way because, um, because of the shifts which you can create, but there's a guy, I think he's called Mark Hofstetter or something like that. And he's actually quite an aggressive, um, comic um in the way that he delivers his message but somebody he did an open q a at the end of his um routine and this person took real offense to like one thing which he said about i don't know it's like you know the reason why you're fat is because you eat too much basically and she took yeah. offense to like that one statement i wasn't exactly what it was and his response i absolutely loved it he turned around and he said i've said a lot of offensive things tonight was that the one thing that um you know you took offense from you know because that was the only thing that was relevant to you and that I thought was like, yeah, do you know what? That sums it up really well because actually his whole routine was pretty damn offensive if I actually drilled into it. But it was the fact that she picked that one thing that was like quite sensitive to her. And I, I think that's where coaching is, um, is such a powerful tool because we have the ability as coaches to be able to tap into those uh, um, worries, concerns and things like that and to be able to kind of help people get through that. Otherwise, they just carry on like like you know, and, and I don't mean this disparagingly, like you did from 2005 through to, you know, your journey through, through a terrible time to then finally having that moment of realization, well, actually, you know, I need a bit of help here. I can't do all this stuff on my own. Mm, yeah. So I, I always prided myself to being a lone wolf for many years, like, oh, I can handle this. And, uh, that's a dangerous, uh, mentality to have. Uh, so at any point now I have at least one coach I'm working with and on something, and sometimes it's more than one, but, uh, that's another issue with coaches. You've got people wondering why, uh, the market's not buying from them, but that person's not investing in themselves and hiring a coach or doing that personal. Yeah. They were the first one to go to go cardless and cancel a bloody direct debit for it, you know, for their coach. And they're like, Oh, why is, why is everybody canceling my direct debits? Like there's always a mirror. It's a reflection. Yeah, there is totally. Um, I, I get people from my print newsletter sometimes that will, uh, cancel. I mean, that's, 
par for the course year. I, I put out a really good product. I pour a lot into that print newsletter and I have sometimes done it where I, I'm like, Oh man, that's the best issue I've ever put out. And people can literally make thousands or tens of thousands of dollars with that information. Someone will cancel and they'll say something like, Hey Mark, um, I'm really liking the newsletter. I just don't have time though to, to read it. And I'm thinking, to go from front to back of that newsletter, even taking note, it's a print newsletter. If you're using a highlighter, taking notes and taking your time, you can read it in under an hour and take those notes and everything. You don't have an hour a month to read that newsletter. I don't want you in there. Yeah. Uh, but they're like, well, I might. And they're like, well, I might be back in the future. And I'm thinking, I don't want you back in the future because you're not my type of person. I, I want to attract people a lot like myself. They're going to put the work into it and be consistent. And I don't want those entrepreneurs. Um, I don't know if I see, is that a book in the back? That, is it the entrepreneur revolution behind your head? Oh, or something that's, or, no, yeah. it's, it's the entrepreneur revolution entrepreneur, by, yeah. Yeah, by Dan Priestley. It, it, it's a really good book, actually. Yeah, so, so right now I think there's um, a entrepreneur revolution online. I've always said that it's that 80-20 rule, that unfortunately about 80% of people who are online entrepreneurs really probably shouldn't be doing it, you know, yeah. because it's a 20% that are uh, treating it serious or showing up. They're doing what they say they're going to do They're, it, it, But there's a lot of people who are just flaky and shouldn't be doing it. The, one of the biggest, uh, this is going to be contentious. One of the biggest, I mean, we did talk about sort of the reasons why you set up your coaching practice and, and actually that funny enough, they were similar to me. So I come from a marketing background, you know, ran an agency for 12 years and something happened. I don't, won't tell the full, well, I can tell the full story. Basically I, I went to, um, so I was building websites and doing branding and stuff. And I went to a networking gig and, um, I got introduced by one of my clients to a couple of his associates as his web bitch. And that was the point when I decided I wanted to change people's perceptions of mm. web designers and freelancers and all the people like, you know, cause I love my, I'm passionate about my work, but I wanted to find a way to um, make sure that other people like me, humble sort of web designers, freelancers didn't get treated like that, or at least perceived that way. Um, so, and that was kind of where the, the energy that ended up sort of growing the coaching practice and um, I've been able to kind of take that message and grow it even further. Um, you know, the reason why people set up a coaching practice in the first place is, is absolutely paramount to get that reason right. And if the reason is to pay your mortgage, I don't think that's good enough. Mm. You know, yeah. and I see, I think a lot of the 80% fit in that category, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a lot like real estate too. I said, when I was in real estate, a lot of people got into it, think it's a get rich quick. Um, coaching isn't a get rich quick. I'm not saying you can't get rolling you know, quickly, but it's not like you're going to make a million bucks in the next week. And you're right. It's not a good motivation if it's just dollars and cents. I'm all for, I'm, I'm a very uh, unapologetic capitalist, very proud capitalist. I love money and I, I admit it. But if it's only the money, what's going to happen is those times when your bank account's lower, you're tying your whole self-worth and everything into that number. You're going to feel like crap yeah. uh, with it. So I think you do need something more aspirational as well to tie into it and to move you along. So I think it's a combination. My, my wife, um, you know, in the time, those times, like we all do go through them when times are a bit hard and that bank balance does look a bit lower. My wife says, how do you do it? how do you get out of bed and still remain motivated? And I'm like, because, because I enjoy the process. It's, it's got nothing to do with the outcome for me in terms of bank balance. It's because I just love the entire coaching process, like from start to finish in terms of like engaging clients and seeing them get their wins and seeing, watching those transformations happen. Mm. And, and I think when you can come at it from a, like uh, who, I can't remember who it was, but somebody once said, you know, if you find something you're passionate about, you never have to work a day in your life again. 
Yeah. And, that, and that's how I believe like, you know, any, well, not just coaches, anybody running a business, that's how they should wake up feeling. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, listen, we're coming towards the end now, so I'm going to start to wrap up, but you've got some, um, what are you working on at the moment? You've got some cool stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, my big focus in 2020 and going forward is uh, my masterminds. So it's called the coaching jungle mastermind. Got a few groups running now and we're opening up more. So uh, that's really exciting. Some great people in there and the groups that are running and that's at uh, junglemastermind.com. And of course we've talked about the coaching jungle Facebook group. That's uh, I'm in there every day, hanging out and interacting and all that stuff. And if anyone wants to check it out, it's at thecoachingjungle.com. Awesome. Um, I, th- I just want to, um, uh, there's a question which I kind of ask everybody and I normally ask it. So we, we're going to get into the fearless business time machine and I normally rewind the clock 10 years, but I know where that's going to end us up. So I'm going to ask this slightly differently. Sure. You get to um, choose a time in the past where you go back to revisit Mark and his former self and give him one piece of advice. What would that piece of advice be? Um, it would probably be right around the time when I was going through the business closure and everything. And it, I know it sounds cliche to say what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. I would tell myself to buckle up, but Hey, it's going to be okay. So it's funny at the time I thought my world was over. Right. And I'm like, Oh God, this is horrible and not a good time. Um, I wouldn't be talking with you today or wouldn't be having as much fun as I am coaching. Uh, had I stuck in real estate and not to knock real estate, by the way, I'd done it though for 10 years and I was getting really just burnt out. That's all I'd done for my adult life. And, uh, I was tired of, um, the inflexibility of scheduling being back in call. You mentioned design bitch when that person introduced you, a lot of people treat the real estate agents like hired servants and, and you, Hey, when we say jump, you say how high. And I didn't like that after a while. So I do like uh, <clears throat> coaching is much more flexible. And I feel like I can impact a lot more people around the world because I'm not restricted to my local area. I don't even focus on my local area for coaching. Everything is online with people all over the world. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Mark. And I must, I Mm. forgot to say at the start, but that's Mark with a C just in case anybody's listening into the podcast, but do go and check out his Facebook group, The Coaching Jungle. Uh, Check out his podcast as well, Natural Born Coaches, um, and also The Mastermind too. And I'm surprised I haven't signed up for it yet, but The Secret Coach Club, I am going to go and grab grab a subscription to the um, the hard copy newsletter as well, because that sounds really interesting. Um, Listen, Mark, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Robin. 